Slayers. This is Mixtress Ray, and you're listening to What's This Bitch Talking About? To which the answer to that question is every episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, exactly, give or take, a day or two or a week or something, 20 years after its original air date. So I'm only a day late this week. <laughs> it's just Saturday nights are not the best night for me to be doing this. And whatever, it's fine. I might just be doing it on Sundays from now on. And that's fine. No one's going to complain. Um, I have a little announcement that um, if you're here, you've either benefited from this announcement a long time ago, and it's probably way later than 2022, or uh, you didn't even notice because you already made it this far. But so my podcast, when I first started it, was it was like a personal podcast that it was just a podcast version of Mixtress Radio, which is an online radio show that I've had since I think 2014. Um, but I switched to being Buffy Recap. I still have Mixtress Radio, but I just didn't like. I didn't like doing it as a public podcast, so I still have Mixtress Radio as a podcast, but it's available available for my patrons, so it's just like, you know, it doesn't feel as public that way, since I'm talking about private shit most of the time. I'm just talking about my life most of the time. But anyway, because of the fact that this podcast started as that instead of this, the first like 20 something episodes of the podcast were just me talking about myself <laughs> and there was no explanation. So the fact that it's called that the podcast is now listed as what's this bitch talking about a Buffy podcast. I was probably, I'm probably for years now for the whole time that I've had this podcast, I have probably been, you know, pushing my listeners away before they even get started because they probably were very confused. Like, I thought this was a Buffy podcast. What the fuck is she talking about? Because, you know, what's this bitch talking about? <laughs> um, anyway, so if you're here, thank you so much. You've um, gone through a lot of obstacles to get to this point. <laughs> and I appreciate you a lot. But anyway, um, so all of that is a way too long lead up to say I fixed my podcast. I took off all of the, like, the old Mixtress Radio, like, me talking about my personal life, the preamble to the Buffy stuff. I still have a few episodes here and there where I just, like, you know, recorded a personal podcast for you guys anyway. I left those in. Um, I kept in all of my, like, movie reviews and stuff. But um, this way, if anyone was searching for a Buffy podcast and they saw mine and decided to give it a try, the first episode they would see is actually me talking about Buffy, so it's not confusing. That's all. It's something that I have needed to do for a long time and just haven't done it. And I did it. Yay. I will hold for applause. <laughs> anyway, so that's the business shit out of the way. Let's read the description according to the Nikki Stafford episode guide entitled Bite Me, my number one and usually only resource for this podcast, besides just watching the episodes and taking notes from my own brain about how I react to it. 
When Anya wreaks vengeance and leaves a dozen frat boys dead, Buffy realizes she'll have to do something drastic to stop her. <laughs> yup. Uh, okay. Okay. I just paused for a second to like, because I, I called it my number one uh, and only resource for Buffy, but I didn't even read. I didn't even read it. <laughs> so I paused so I could read it. Kind of skimmed through. Um, one thing that Nikki Stafford does say that is really, um, I mean, we're going to be flashing forward to the, pretty much the end of the episode, but I do want to say this, um, the, okay. So this is kind of like, it's a little long, it's like two paragraphs long, but I'm going to go ahead and read what she wrote. Though this is an Anya centric episode, the most important part of selfless is, well, I don't agree, but is Buffy's reaction to what Anya has done and the passionate argument she has with Xander. When she announces calmly that she has to kill Anya, not only does Xander react with shock, but the viewers raise, the viewer raises an eyebrow as well. Sorry, it's very, very, very windy outside and I have the window open because it's way too hot to not have the window open. But if you hear what sounds like an ocean outside my window, it's just because it's windy. <laughs> okay, there you go. Um, the viewer raises an eyebrow as well. Isn't this the person who forgave Angel after he killed Jenny, tortured Giles, and tormented her friends? Hasn't she given Spike a pardon after he's murdered and tortured thousands? Xander brings up these points and more, but Buffy retorts that despite what he might think, she's the law and has been forced to make decisions that she doesn't want to make. She will always feel alone because of her vocation and tells him she's cut herself off from others because of these feelings. The problem is, Xander is right. When Buffy was younger, she always found a way around things if it would help save the love of her life. She saved Spike because she has feelings for him and now that she's older when Oz for him now that she's older. When Oz was dangerous, they found a way to protect him and others from the wolfy side. But now that Anya has killed a group of people people, Buffy seems to have made a decision that will impact everyone and she doesn't seem to feel any remorse for it. There was a time when Despite what all the Watcher history books said, Buffy refused to cut herself off from her friends. She's always carried a certain burden quietly without telling anyone, but now that she's gotten older and apparently more mature, quote-unquote, she's become a lot more emotionless about certain decisions and doesn't treat the Scoobies like a consultation committee the way she once did. She makes the decisions even if they involve saving Angel's life and not Anya's. Scoobies be damned, and it's this cold mentality she has developed that will be her undoing by the end of the season. Buffy would like to think that this leadership is proof of her maturity, but an utter lack of respect for those around you does not equal adulthood. Wow. I've been missing out by not reading this, this one and only resource. Because <laughs> I haven't been reading it lately. And that is good shit right there. Okay. I agree with most of that. I don't think it's the most important part of the episode because I think Anya is the most important part of the episode, but I do agree with most of that because yeah, I was on Xander's side and usually when Xander and Buffy argue, I'm not on Xander's side, you know, but anyway. Um, okay. So this is the Anya development episode that we've all been waiting for. Um, at the beginning of the episode, uh, they're like helping Willow move into Buffy's room, I think. I don't know. They're moving stuff around and it has something to do with Willow. I don't know if they're packing up her stuff because she's going to move back into the dorms 
or if they're just helping her settle in because she wasn't living, maybe her stuff was in storage or something while she was in England. I don't know. Anyway, that's the first scene. They're just helping Willow move some shit around inside Buffy's old room. And they're talking about Anya and saying that, like, she seems depressed and distant and, you know, what, how's she doing, shit like that. And Xander says some stuff. He says that he knows, he says Anya and I are done. Um, and then he says, and, and Buffy sort of, like, gently brings up vengeance is the thing that I'm concerned about, but not in a super pushy Buffy way. She just kind of says it. And Xander says, I think, you know, I don't think that's her anymore. I think she's coming around. You know, she, she reversed that one spell before anything got bad and blah, blah, blah. I think she's coming around. And right after he says that, cut to Anya at the frat house. She's got blood all over her. She's wearing a white dress, of course, because, you know, anytime anybody in any horror-adjacent show is wearing white or very light color, you know that they're about to get blood on them. Um, and she's saying, what have I done? And she seems very shocked with herself. And then we cut to a flashback to Anya's human life back from her original time. So it's the year 880. She's speaking a made-up language. <laughs> this is not a real language. Um, oh, I forgot to look up. I was going to look up. I'm going to pause and look this up, actually. Buffy, Sarah Michelle Gellar, I believe that her hair in this episode, she has like this really pretty side braid, and I think that's her wedding hair. Because um, I remember there was one episode where like she had to like get on a plane to go to her wedding like right after shooting, and we see her wedding hair. I feel like this is that episode. I'm just, I just want to know for sure. I'm going to look it up. Okay, nope, this isn't it. This is not the one. <laughs> Maybe it was an earlier season. Um, yeah, because I think they... I don't know, it might have been last season. I don't know, whatever, it doesn't matter. It's hard to tell what her hair actually looks like, and it took me a, a while to actually find a photo. Anyway, okay, so we're in the year 880. And um, Anya, back then, her name was Odd spelled A-U-D. I am absolutely obsessed with this name. I have known, even though I've known my entire life, seriously, mom, my entire life, I've known I'm not going to be a mother. I have also simultaneously known that if I ever had a daughter, her name would be Odd. Ever since first seeing this episode, I knew. <laughs> I even named um, the one piece of fiction that I've written that will never, ever see anyone's eyes besides mine. <laughs> but the one piece of fiction that I've written, besides like short stories and shit in like high school or whatever, um, I made my main character, her name was Audra Ray. Um, so anyway, <laughs> Audra, spelled A-U-D-R-A. So yeah, I went back and forth, like, would she be odd? She would be, I think she would be Audra and I would call her Odd for short. So you know what? That's probably going to end up being a cat, you know, because a cat is the closest thing I get to a daughter. <laughs> and I usually name my cats after goddesses, but maybe I should stop doing that because it makes them really into themselves. <laughs> 
I love Kali though. I love her. Anyway, so we're in the year 880. Odd is the best name ever. And there's bunnies everywhere. Um, there's the made up language. Uh, Anya's like super into her boyfriend at the time, which we now know she's turned into a troll. And that was the thing that attracted to Hoffren to call her to the vengeance demon fold. Um, we get one little scene with Spike because it's like obligatory that we get one scene with Spike to see what he's doing. It's basically just a scene where Buffy is telling Spike he needs to get out of the basement. But the very beginning part of the scene, we're seeing them talking and later we find out that he's not talking to Buffy in this first part of the scene because Buffy's being super nurturing towards him. Not in a super obvious way. You really do think it's Buffy until the real Buffy walks in and she's acting much more like Buffy. <laughs> Just being, you know, she's, she's not being super a hundred percent like Buffy mean to Spike like she used to be, but she's a little bit like that right now. Um, anyway, she tells him that he needs to leave the basement. This basement is killing you. And Spike says, I don't have anywhere else to go. And that's the end of that scene. So I'm guessing that that means, I don't remember exactly how this goes down, but I'm guessing that this means in the next episode, Spike's no longer going to be in the basement. I don't remember. I feel like, I know at some point Buffy brings Spike to her house, but is this when that happens? I don't know. I don't remember. Okay, I had to pause because I had to get my candle going because I haven't lit it. I didn't light it yet. So now I gotta light some incense. So yeah, we're gonna hang out with me while I do the falderall. Because I couldn't have paused this entire time so you didn't have to hear any of it. That would be like professional or something, okay? Hey guys, uh, if you have in the past avoided, if you love incense and you have avoided the one that's called vampire blood because that seems like such a gimmick, it's actually really good, guys. I've gotten it as a gift a couple times because, you know, people know that I like vampire shit and they know that I like incense. So I've gotten it as a gift like two or three times and I'm always like surprised by it every time. Like, oh, this is actually nice. It actually smells good. So, vampire blood, not a bad incense. Just saying. I mean, there might be other, there might be certain, it's the kind that's in the black box with the red, bleedy looking font, you know? It's that one. <laughs> okay, so we just get that one little moment with Spike so that we know, yep, he's still in the basement. He's still crazy. He has this little moment where he's talking fondly about Drusilla, which I love. And he says, you know, she'd see the sky when we were inside and it'd just make her so happy. You know, he, he was simultaneously saying like, I know she's, she was crazy, but she was happy. Um, okay. Where are we? Then the next scene is Willow's talking to one of her old professors. She's, you know, taking makeup tests and doing this and that and whatever. She's getting back into school. And then she sees Anya coming out of the frat house with like, uh, you know, somebody else's khaki overcoat thing. Um, 
and she's obviously like it looks like she's kind of doing a walk of shame kind of situation and that's how she um that's how she conceptualizes it to willow but you can tell that she's very upset and willow sees some blood on her hand and so spoiler alert willow is the mvp of this episode and i don't often give it to her but she is because she just she handles everything so classy in this episode i don't think that's good grammar she handles things so classy whatever um she really does she because she notices something's off with anya she sees the blood and she goes to check it out then she goes to confront anya no then she calls okay so i'm getting ahead of myself but i'm just gonna tell you the reasons that anya or that willow is mvp of the episode so she notices something's off with anya she sees the blood she goes to check it out she sees what happened she understands what happened essentially and which is that anya did vengeance by calling upon this spider demon who rips the hearts out of its victims um, she might not have understood all of the information but she understood enough to know that this was anya's fault she saw the spider demon she called buffy to tell her about the spider demon but she didn't say anything about anya and then she went and then while buffy's like investigating she goes to confront anya directly and tells her that she needs to stop she's giving anya an out or you know giving anya a chance to just talk to her one-on-one -on -one. and anya you know she's she's really covering for how bad she's feeling and she just kind of argues with willow essentially so that's when willow makes the decision to go back to buffy's house wait for her and xander to get back from their spider demon hunting activities and she tells them what's up that it's anya and then the whole argument between xander and buffy happens and the whole time willow's just sitting there she stays out of it this is also the time where we finally kind of get a reckoning moment for that that thing at the end of season two you remember that moment where willow tells xander to catch up with buffy as fast as you can to take her some weapons or something and um or he's meeting her to take her some weapons or something or what i don't know something like that and she tells him to give buffy the message that stall stall as long as you can because she's trying to make the spell work and instead of giving her the message xander said willow has a message for you kick his ass so this is the moment where we actually see a little bit of a confrontation of that i don't think buffy understands that willow didn't say that because in this argument you know this is like the only time that willow speaks up during this entire argument buffy's yelling at xander and she's like do you remember giving me willow's message like something about like both of you both of you are a lot of help do you remember giving me willow's message kick his ass and like willow kind of looks really shocked and says i never said that so you know it's never really spoken of again as far as i can remember but 
that's as much as you get as far as like Xander having to face that he did that, you know? What a jackass. Anyway. Xander never has to face the consequences of the shitty stuff that he does. Anyway, okay, I'm getting ahead of myself, but I'd, I'd want to just follow Willow's trajectory throughout the episode. So, um, I'll just keep going on that path. So, Willow, um, so she's, you know, told them what's going on. She's, she's confronted Anya. She told Buffy and Xander what's going on, so she's being upfront with everyone, but she's also you know, giving people a chance to, like, it might not have gone down like this if the conversation with Anya had gone differently. You know, she gave Anya a chance to, you know, she's being direct. Yay, Willow. She's being direct. She's not being pushy. She's not doing things to her own selfish means. Then, um, you know, Buffy and Xander argue, argue, argue. We'll talk more about that later. And then um, Xander leaves, and then Buffy leaves with a sword. You know, she's she just, like, grabs a sword and then goes to walk out the door. She turns back and looks at Willow, like, are you coming? And Willow says, I can't. I'm sorry. Which, of course, I'm sure that Buffy understands that. But she turns around and walks out. She doesn't say anything. And Willow immediately gets up, goes to the bathroom, because that's where you... That's just... It's where Willow likes to do her magic. <laughs> Like, she used to go to, like, the dorm bathroom in the middle of the night to do to do magic. That was the first time she summoned to Hoffren, I think. And this time she goes to the bathroom at Buffy's. It's, the bathroom is the place to summon to Hoffren. So next time you're taking a bath, if you want to summon to Hoffren. <laughs> anyway, I have a, a, a crochet thing that my mom gave me. It's not actually crochet, I don't think. It's, like, embroidered it's like machine embroidery or something, but it is a little thing that looks like cross stitch, but isn't kind of thing. It's on one of those cross stitch hoops. But anyway, it's in one of my bathrooms in my house and it says, please don't summon demons in the bathroom. <laughs> Which just sounds exactly like something that my mom would say to me as a child. Like if she had caught me doing some weird spells or rituals or something, she might just say, please don't summon demons in the bathroom. <laughs> anyway oh my god I'm getting sidetracked okay so she summons to Hoffren in the bathroom and she just says I want to talk about Anya so we don't know until later but and they never make a big deal out of this and I think Willow should get some credit here because in the past you know Willow's had a lot of issues with Anya you know she has never been a big fan of Anya she's never been that nice to Anya it's, they've just never had a good relationship, ever. But in this moment, Willow is the one that saves Anya because she summons to Hoffren and she, I mean, we don't, never know the content of this conversation, but it leads him to showing up where Anya is and giving Anya the choice to undo what she did. And he essentially like turns her back into a human. He lets her make the choice for herself, blah, blah, blah. But, um, yeah, Willow did everything she could to save Anya. So that's why she's MVP of the episode, because I was trying to think, like, what are my top five Buffy characters of all time before I hit record? And it's actually difficult, because I think... 
I mean, like, of course, Faith, Drusilla, Tara, Anya. So there's four right there. But then I have a tie for my fifth spot because at first I was thinking Spike and then I was like, <gasps> I can't believe I forgot Giles. <laughs> like it feels like a betrayal that I forgot Giles. So I don't know. I don't necessarily want to say that Giles and maybe I could give the tie to Tara and Anya because we actually never see a whole lot of either of them. You know, they're always side characters. Um, I mean, really the same with Faith and Drusilla, right? But I don't know. <laughs> we get so much more character development with both Spike and um, Giles, but I'll just say that's my top six, okay? I'm not picking a top five. Top six Buffy characters of all time. Spike, Giles, Tara, Faith, and Anya. <laughs> And Drusilla. Drusilla. Um, you guys, I don't think I've told you this yet. Do you know what a Blythe doll is? B-L-Y-T-H-E? Well, anyway, it is a, you know, baby doll type situation. Huge head. Little body. Um, not like baby, baby doll. It's, it's doll. It's a doll. <laughs> There's a gazillion different kinds. People mod them in a gazillion different ways. They um, have... Anyway, I got one as a birthday present from my friend, my friend Julie. Thank you, Julie, if you ever listen to this. Um, I love her. I like to smell her hair. She has that genuine doll hair smell. You know what I'm talking about? It's rare, but it's nice. <laughs> but anyway, um, she's... She's modeled after Drusilla. Like, Julie specifically found a Drusilla doll for me. So she has long, dark hair. She has, like, a red vampy dress. She has black fishnets and, like, combat boots. <laughs> Eventually, I want to get her more vampiric eyes. Because one of the cool features of Blythe dolls is that they have four different sets of eyes. So essentially you can get different eye chips, I think is what you call them, and you can change out their different eyes. So like there's a little cord in their back that you pull and it makes, it changes their eye. Um, it switches between their different eye types. So I want to get some real vampiric eyes for her. <laughs> like scary. I want to get some scary vampiric eyes so that, you know, I can switch her to vamp mode if I want, you know? Anyway. <laughs> Um, what was the point in talking about that? Oh, just because I was reminded of Drusilla. Okay, let's get back on track. Willow is MVP of the episode. Where are we now? Um, ba -ba -ba. Okay, we're throughout this episode, we're flashing um, from the present back to some other alternate point in Anya's past. So we're seeing a glimpse of her life. This is the most we've ever gotten to pay attention to Anya. So we go back to 880. This is the point where um, Anya has turned her, I forgot what her boyfriend's name was, but she's turned him in a, into a troll. DeHoffren shows up, introduces himself. He immediately, before he even like tells her 
I don't like the way that the scene is written, the, the, the way that the dialogue from De Hoffren is written in this scene in particular, because like bef before he says, you know, okay, so here's the thing, um, vengeance demons, it's a thing I'm starting, I'm starting up. That's kind of how he's talking about it. Um, do you want to do it? I think you're amazing. I think you have what it takes. Before he even says all of that, which I'm paraphrasing hugely, he says, you are Anyanka. He tells her what her new name is before he tells her what the job is and asks her if she wants to do it. Because it's, it's definitely made, um, a point is made throughout this episode that she chose this path. She chose to become a vengeance demon. It's a distinction that Buffy makes in the argument with Xander that like her reasoning for why, you know, Spike is worth more, um, more leeway than Anya is that he didn't get to choose when he became a vampire. It wasn't his choice. Um, and I, I mean, I do think that that is an important distinction, but still in this moment, it doesn't feel super consensual when a person tells you what your new demon name is before they even tell you what the job is and that they want you to do it. You know, it's just a little nitpick right there, but and she keeps saying to him, I am odd. And he's like, no, you're on Yanka. It's like, why is this? I mean, I get because the entire episode is about, you know, it's called selfless because Anya doesn't really know who she is. She doesn't know who she is without a man defining her, which they don't straight up say that, but that's what it is. Because, you know, the first little chunk of her life, she was being defined by her boyfriend, who she turned into a troll. And then the other big, huge thousand something year portion of her life, she was defined by de Hoffren, who named her Anyanka. Um, and then she spent, you know, those three, four years with Xander being defined as the, as human Anya. You know, she's defined herself by men her whole life. That's the whole point. So this argument of him saying, you are Anyanka, no, I am odd, makes sense in the context of that, but it just doesn't make sense practically in my brain. But anyway, so at one point she's like, vengeance? And Dahoffren's like, only to those who deserve it. And then she says, they all deserve it. <laughs> so hashtag all men, <laughs> because he even tells her exactly what her specific job description will be because we find out later that vengeance demons are not just about helping wronged women. That's Anya's thing. And it's Anya's thing because Dehoffren tells her, you are Anyanka, you're going to help wronged women from evil men. He tells her this in this first conversation. He tells her exactly what you're going to be doing for what she's going to be doing for the next, you know, thousand years of her life. Then we get a scene with um, Halfrick and Anya back at Anya's apartment. She's cleaned up. She's changed her clothes. And she's telling Halfrick, you know, Halfrick's like, oh my God, everybody's saying you're back, you're back, you're back, you know, because she's proud of her for this terrible thing that she did. Because this is the most upsetting vengeance that she's done since she got back in. And Anya's like, it's just really upsetting. You know, I, I just forgot. I forgot what this was like. I'm just having a really hard time. And she's being open about it. She's opening up to her friend and Halfrick's like, Oh, it'll be okay. It'll pass. Um, and 
it's just interesting to have, you know, because this is a supportive friend moment and Halfric is being a supportive friend, but it's within the context of being an evil demon, you know? Um, she's not, she's, I think they could have painted Halfric as being a lot more dismissive towards Anya, but they're not. On even even when Anya wasn't, you know, living up to her vengeance demon self and like whatever and Halfric was kind of ragging on her about it a few episodes ago, she still is her friend. She's still hanging out with her. She's still spending one-on-one time with her and all that stuff. Um I don't know. Halfric is her friend. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> um, then Willow shows up to confront Anya. That's when that happens. Um, Xander, while well, Xander and Buffy are hunting the spider demon, Xander, like, he sees the webbing and he's like, what is this black stuff? And he just, like, walks over to it and just, like, sticks his hand in it immediately. I'm like, god damn it, Xander. Like, have you not been doing this long enough to know not to just stick your hand in some random substance? <laughs> anyway, uh, Buffy dispatches with the spider demon really quickly. That's not the point of the episode. Um, Willow's waiting for them at home. Then we get um, the whole argument between Xander and Buffy. And she she is just, like, really, like, one note about this. Like, I have to kill Anya. And just, like, not consulting with them about it. And, yeah, this moment is setting up what, you know, the stupid savior complex bullshit that we're going to get from Buffy all season. Um, because he says, you act like you're the law. And then Buffy has this whole speech about being the Slayer. What she say? Um, oh, we'll get to it. We'll get to it. I'm getting ahead of myself. Because then we get another flashback in Anya's life to 1905. So this is, you know, after she's been doing the vengeance thing for a really long time. <laughs> I don't even want to do that math, but it's over a thousand years at this point. And she's hanging out with Halfrick back in 1905. And Anya's just basically saying... Halfrick is like, everything is work, work, work with you. And Anya's like, this is who I am. I am vengeance. This is what I do. This is who I am. Um, she really believes in what she's doing. And there's some kind of revolution happening. Um, I am not a history person at all, so I know I should know what this is referring to, but I don't remember. And Anya says this really fun thing, that there's some words in this that I don't even know what they mean. But it's just really funny because it's meant to show as a contrast to, like, Anya loves capitalism. She's talked about it a lot. But back in 1905, this was her view on politics. This is the quote of the episode. The worker will overthrow absolutism and lead the proletariat to a victorious communist revolution, resulting in socioeconomic, socioeconomic paradise on earth. Okay, let me try that again. The worker will overthrow... Ugh, oh my god, can you imagine having to say this line? <laughs> She's arguing with Hal Halfrick, because Halfrick's like, there's a whole revolution going on outside. Aren't you interested at all? And she's like, yeah, I'm not interested. The worker will overthrow absolutism and lead the proletariat to a victorious communist revolution resulting in socioeconomic paradise on Earth. It's common sense, really. 
Um, I know enough about what that sentence means to know that that did not happen. <laughs> There's no socioeconomic paradise on earth. Oh, man. But anyway, apparently she was into communism in 1905 before she enjoyed capitalism so much. Anyway, um, at one point, okay, so like the smartest thing that Xander said in the argument between Xander and Buffy, so we're switching back to that scene now, is this isn't new ground for us. When our friends go all crazy and start killing people, we help them. <laughs> you are so right, Xander. Like, I hate to say it, and I've only said it like four other times during the entirety of this podcast, but you are right, Xander. And then he says that thing about you act like you're the law and Buffy has this big speech and she at one point says in the end the slayer is always cut off because Xander at one point says you know you cut yourself off from us blah blah blah. In the end the slayer is always cut off she says and then um and then there's that whole scene where you know she immediately goes after Anya. Um Xander gets there first luckily um and because she's at the frat house, like, you know, just kind of freaking out about what she's done. And Xander apparently knows her well enough to know that that's where she would be. Um, which is a kind of sweet little moment because, you know, I never really got the impression that Xander was paying that much attention to her. But cool that she is. <laughs> um, or that he is. Um, where are we? Okay, and then Buffy shows up shortly after Xander does and the whole time Xander's trying to trying to save Buffy trying to or not save Buffy save Anya um but Buffy versus Anya we get a whole I mean whatever and they don't there's no arguing Buffy's not trying to talk her into anything she's not trying to tell her to stop or anything she's not trying to talk her out of anything she just goes there to kill her like, Buffy is very, very brute force, one-note slayer in this episode. Which, from a writing standpoint, I understand because this episode is not about... For once, it's not about Buffy. And Buffy doesn't have a strong relationship to Anya, so they're not going to be spending a lot of time with Buffy versus... The only Buffy versus Anya is a physical fight. But... So from a writing standpoint, I get it. But from a character standpoint, it doesn't make sense. This is not like Buffy. Buffy would be trying to save Anya in any other moment. But whatever. This is what we got. Buffy versus Anya. Buffy impales Anya with her sword. We then get a flash to last year, 2001, during the musical episode. I mean, it was filmed now because Anya is wearing a wig. But um, so that she could have her long blonde hair back. But um, we get a musical number where, you know, Anya is defining herself by Xander. She is singing about how she's about to become Mrs. Xander Harris, blah, blah, blah. And um, it's, I mean, it's fine. It's, it's a little musical number. It's fine. I did, I mean, this is probably like, I don't know, a stupid thing to point out, but I hope that, uh, what is her fucking name? Why am I always forgetting? Emma Caulfield. <laughs> okay, I remembered it before I opened the book. Emma Caulfield. I'm always forgetting her name for some reason. Um, the actor. I hope that she's okay 
at this point in her life because she looks really skinny in the because so my mom's tv when i watched it with her she my mom's tv it like stretches the image so it looks like it's widescreen even though it's not so she looked more muscular than anything but then me when i watched it just now in regular 4-3 format aspect ratio she looked painfully thin to me like and I get that that was just the thing back in 2002, because if you were wearing those low-rise jeans like everybody was, you had to weigh, like, less than 100 pounds if you were a chick to look good in those, you know? I remember at the time I was far from being fat, but I looked it in those pants, <laughs> even back then. Because I am hippie. Anyway. So Buffy impales Anya, but she knows that's not going to actually kill her. So maybe, you know, Buffy's whole point was to, like, you know, let Anya know she was serious and then talk to her, but that just never happens. I mean, we could tell ourselves that story if we want to make this make more sense. I guess that's fine. Anyway, the musical number ends. We get back to um, the present, and there's a great... There's a great scene cut moment where like, you know, we're in like mid musical number note and it cuts to like Anya's passed out with a sword in her chest. You think she's dead for a second. Then DeHoffrin shows up. She, or she pulls the sword out of her chest. Then DeHoffrin shows up and he goes into the room where all the frat boys are. We haven't seen them. We haven't seen them dead. We've just seen blood everywhere. That's all. And DeHoffrin's like, it's like somebody slaughtered an Abercrombie and Fitch catalog, which is hilarious just because that's a hilarious joke. And it's hilarious because would DeHoffren, an ancient demon, know what Abercrombie and Fitch, excuse me, is? Probably not, but whatever. In this conversation, DeHoffren says a couple of like, apparently he can see into the future to a certain extent. He says a couple of foreboding future telling things. He refers to Xander as the young man he sees with the eyeballs of love. And I think they're saying that because they already know they're going to take away Xander's eye at the end of the season. Um, he also says something very important, which I liked. He says, I'm not sure if anyone's bothered to find out what Anyanka herself really wants. And Anya immediately says, I want to take it back. She wants to unkill the frat boys. And he says, you know, there's a big price for that. There's, there's 12 guys in that other room. And he says, where are the police in Sunnydale, you know? <laughs> We've seen them like three times over the course of the entire series. So, like, I guess we can expect this entire thing happened over the course of a day. So Anya, like, the massacre probably happened the night before. So it's like 24 hours later at this point. But no one has wondered where these frat boys are. They're popular guys. Like, frat houses have people going in and out of them all the time. Like, somebody would know about this by now. <laughs> anyway. Um... But I like that DeHoffern was like, 
I'm not sure if anyone's bothered to find out what Anyanka herself really wants. And she knows exactly what she wants. And Hoffman says, well, in order to take this one back, there's a high price to pay. The price is the life and soul of a vengeance demon. So presumably, you know, if her soul is also going to be devoured in this process, she could never, ever, ever come back in any capacity, right? Life and soul of a vengeance demon. And Anya immediately, like, no question, she doesn't even... She doesn't even stop to think about it. She's just like, yeah, I understand the price. Do it. Because she assumes that he means her. But he summons Halfric and kills her instead. Which, if this were, you know, a real situation, it would make no sense for him to do that. Because Halfric is one of his vengeance demons that he's had also for a long time. I mean, we don't really know. Maybe how. Actually, we do know. Because Halfric is... Oh, Cecily, I think was the name of the character that existed back in Spike's time, which was like the late 1700s or was it early 1800s? Anyway, somewhere around that time. So Halfrick didn't get called as a vengeance demon until the 17 or 1800s then because she was a human before that. So Halfrick is the name that DeHoffrin gave Cecily. I think it, I'm pretty sure it's Cecily. So I get, okay. I just talked myself out of that one because he would have much more of an attachment to Anya because she was like the best vengeance demon ever. And she'd been with him for over a thousand years. So it makes sense, I guess, in that context. Plus he was trying to hurt her in this moment. And apparently he already knows that Anya's going to die because the next thing that he says to her, basically Anya says to him after he kills Halfric in front, because he, sum, he summons Halfric, then he takes her life and soul right in front of them. She just incinerates right in front of them. Um, and Anya says, you should have killed me. And he says, be patient, all good things in time. He also says, from beneath you it devours. Um, so he already knows. He already knows Anya's not going to live much longer. Um, so I guess he just wants her to have those last six months or whatever it is. Um, and then the episode ends pretty much. Buffy says she's going to go check on the frat boys. You never get, to, You never have to see any of them, thankfully. You just hear them chattering in the other room. And although the blood is still everywhere, I think, but, um, and then, uh, Xander goes to talk to Anya because Anya has just walked out after this whole thing went down into Hoffer and disappeared. And Xander goes to talk to her and she says, I mean, just, this is a very simple conversation too. She says, I've always just clung to whatever came along. I don't, basically she's saying, I don't know who I am. I don't know how to define myself. She doesn't literally say this, but she doesn't know how to define herself without the men in her life defining her and naming her. And I just, that trajectory of her storyline, even though they never outright say that, that she's spent her whole life being defined by others, that's what this is. And I, I love that 
you know, the trajectory, the, the sort of like the character development aspect of this story is that Anya needs to spend some time with herself to figure out who she is. And the conversation between her and Xander doesn't really matter, you know, except that at one point she tells him thank you. So I think this is definitely closure on them. Like, they are no longer going to be in a relationship. She's no longer going to be giving him shit constantly because he left her at the altar. And he's letting her know he, he loves her, he cares about her, he wants to be there for her. You know, like, this is a big closure moment between the two of them. And it's it's a moment of Anya deciding. I mean, basically, she's just like, she doesn't say this, but it's just like, I need to be single for a while. You know? Basically, that's the gist of this. She needs to figure out who she is. And how cool... I mean, I would just love to see a whole series of, like, Anya figuring out who she is from this point forward. You know, in an alternate reality where she doesn't have to die at the end of the season. But, um... Because in the comics, spoiler alert, in the comics, she spends, like, an entire season, like, haunting Xander as a ghost. So it's just like, what? Like, all that work that she did to be her own person just doesn't even matter. And, I mean, ultimately it doesn't matter anyway because she's a side character and they don't care. And she's not really going to do any work that we're going to see. Despite just, like, being a human now and not killing anyone. And helping in the fight against evil. Like, we're going to see that. But we don't really get more character development beyond this moment for the most part. Unfortunately. But, anyway. So, that's the episode. Pretty much. I'm going to verify because I'm pretty sure we don't have another episode. I think we have two weeks before the next episode. Is that right? Yes, it is. So we have no Halloween episode this year. I mean, we don't always get a Halloween episode in Buffy. But don't you think we should? It's a fucking horror show. We should get a Halloween episode every year. But anyway, we don't. We don't in this season. Um, yep. Oh my God. I fucking hate the next episode. It's that one where the guy has like a love spell on his leather jacket and everyone falls in love with him, including Buffy. Oh God so gross. Oh, I wish I could skip that episode. That episode's probably going to go on the shit list. <laughs> so far, I think I only have two episodes on it still. I'm pretty sure. But that one might have to go on it. I don't know. Okay, so I'll see you in two weeks when we'll talk about one of the worst episodes of Buffy ever called him. Um, God. Okay. Let's get to the ratings. Let's not get distracted by the fact that we have to face that episode in two weeks. Object of the episode. Um, I don't really want this because I don't have room for it. But I do think it's kind of cool. The Inside the frat house, there was like a... It was probably like three or four feet tall. It was like a pinup girl um, like statue on a table or something. Um, which was kind of cute. You didn't really get to see the details, so maybe it wasn't as cute as I thought it was. But it's the kind of thing that I definitely would have had as a teenager. Um, so that's the object of the episode. Outfit of the episode, I'm going to give to Willow um, throughout most of the episode. I don't like 
all of the items paired together. But it's the closest thing to an outfit of the episode. She was just wearing, like, a simple red, uh, like, you know, crew tee and, like, a black amulet-looking thing. She was wearing, like... This was the part that, like, if you just would have changed the skirt, the whole outfit would have made sense. So the skirt was like a, like an army green sort of like cargo mini skirt. It, if it had been black, it, it would have made the whole outfit make sense. Cause she was wearing like black lace up knee boots that laced up in the back, which is very interesting. They might have been dark brown. It's hard to tell. This is a very poorly lit TV show, which is one of the things I like about it. Truly, I'm not being sarcastic. But she was wearing red tights, red shirt, the khaki miniskirt, or the army green miniskirt, and the lace-up boots. So it was a nice outfit. It was a nice outfit, except for the fact that the skirt didn't match. But other than that, it was all right. MVP, like I said, is Willow. Quote is that uh, Anya proletariat communist <laughs> quote that I said earlier. And ratings, I'm going to give it weird. It's a weird rating. I already decided before I hit record. 4.4 out of 5. Because I just like, I just love the character development in this episode. Willow is on top of her shit. Xander, for to a certain extent, is on top of her shit. Buffy's the worst in this episode, but whatever. Apparently they feel like if the episode isn't about Buffy, they have to make her into like the villain of the episode. It's like, no, you really don't have to do that. Like they overwork Sarah Michelle Gellar. <laughs> it's like, she's still, even though this episode is not about her, she didn't have to be a big part of it. They still made her a pretty big part of it, but they just made her an asshole the whole time. It's like, okay, whatever. Anyway, we're going to get a lot of Sarah Michelle Gellar as Buffy being an asshole this season. So this is just the beginning of the beginning little taste of that. All right, then. I will see you in two weeks. Bye.